God bless you and greetings to you all. This is uh, Pastor Jeremy. We are so delighted. We are truly delighted that you would join us today again and take out of your time to be with us. If you have had an opportunity to hear some of our podcasts, then you know that uh, we are coming to you with the Word of God, really from the lens of the prophetic and 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 really speaking what we feel the Lord is is giving us to to tell to warn God's people. And the reality is uh to those that are listening today is that we are not telling you anything new. What we are simply doing is echoing what already has been said and declared and written in the word of God through the through the prophets, through the apostles, through Jesus himself, the things that have already been declared and and the reality is is that in this hour we must declare the word of the lord and and really the true gospel in this hour is what is confronting head on the spirit of this age so we we are we are delighted we are so happy that you would be with us and if if you have not had the opportunity to follow us from podcast 1 uh really just to give you a very quick overview we we started from podcast one using the story of Egypt, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt as a template uh, to see specifically with the last two plagues, the ninth where the darkness, the ninth plague where the darkness fell upon the earth, a darkness that could be felt. And we also spoke about uh, the 10th plague, uh, uh, which was um, when the death angel would come and, and kill the firstborn using that as a template to compare and do parallels of what is taking place today. Uh, I believe in podcast two, we spoke on uh, focus was on the responsibility of the man when God tells the man to apprehend the lamb, to inspect the lamb, to eat of the lamb. And really what uh, what was brought out of that podcast is really the responsibility of man putting his house in order. And then the rest of the podcast, we've been speaking about the call of Amos. Uh, Amos uh, has a very unique call for he was not a son of a prophet, but he was called. And in his calling, we see our calling, how God is calling us to declare the word of the Lord. And we were confronted with the question that God asked Amos, what do you see, Amos? What do you see? And that's what God is asking us. What are we seeing in this hour? And yesterday, uh, we came from the book of Chronicles. Uh, from the chapter 7, uh, verse 14, uh, to the people that are called by my name, if they humble themselves, if they turn from their wicked ways and repentance, what God is calling us in this hour. So this is just kind of a little bit of an overview of what we've been talking about, seeing things of how God sees them. And today we are delighted uh, to have in our panel, we have Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, Brother Marty, once again, my brothers, we greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's always good to share the Word of God with you. But without Amen. further ado, I believe it's time to get into the Word of God. Um, I'm excited about what God has for us today, and and of course, we'll we'll, we'll leave it to Brother Marty to to start it off, and all of us will will join you, Brother Marty. But it's good to have you this morning, and I'll let you take it from here. Well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm so glad to be with, with you guys again, and, and we're looking forward to the word this morning. And again, uh, as as we go along in this, please, as you feel led, uh, just jump in, because I can get going, and if you don't shut me up, I'll just keep going. So, <laughs> so keep uh, keep contributing, because it's really a blessing. You know, I've been hearing some really good reports uh, from people that have been receiving these podcasts in an underground way, almost, you know, around the country, and, and, uh, and, and there's been some really, really encouraging response to uh, to bringing some light we believe by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit to the events that we're witnessing take place uh, around the world and and specifically uh, it has come to rest in our nation now and and so that's what we're looking at and and with that in mind what we are endeavoring to do as we go forward is being led of the Lord of course is to by his permission uh, continue to dig deeper into the Word of God some of you who will be listening to this, some of these modes of understanding may be completely unfamiliar with you, uh, to you. But understand that the book of Revelation tells us specifically in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, 
that the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so the scripture must be understood as that from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We see stories, historical narratives, accounts of different uh, times and seasons within the, within the Bible itself. But, but the scripture teaches us that while a historical truth or a historical narrative is accurate, to understand it at a deeper level, it must be understood through the spirit of prophecy. What that simply means is that whenever you read of a historical account in the scripture, what you are actually reading is one, it actually took place. But two, it has deeper meaning in that it will, according to the scripture, play itself out, unfolding uh, into a much larger truth, if you will. Um, in other words, replay itself in the end of time. And so whenever you go into the Gospels or you go into the, uh, the Old Testament accounts of stories, you need to look uh, for the very things in those stories that 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 also reveal um what the end of the world and the end of our time looks like so that we can gain greater insight greater understanding and guidance by the spirit of god through the light of the scriptures as to how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in uh, in in these times which we find ourselves in now it is with that in mind i'm going to read this scripture and you guys just jump in whenever you feel like it as we get going we're going to begin our study today in john chapter Eight, beginning with the 59th verse, and then I'm going to read a little bit of scripture and we'll begin to discuss it. John uh, chapter 8, verse 59, we'll go into the ninth chapter. <laughs> it says that then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself. He went out of the temple and going through the midst of them, so he passed by. And we go to chapter 9. And as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, Neither has this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then listen to this. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> All right. So, you know, we continue to seek the Lord uh, in these most incredible days. I suppose if there's kind of a theme to this, and as we label the podcast later, I would call it, the coronavirus and a man born blind, the coronavirus and a man born blind. So the coronavirus continues to rage across the world, right? I mean, in America, it, it seems that um, <clears throat> that America has, has begun to fight back, so to speak, against her judgment. Because we, I believe that what we are witnessing is a judgment that has come to the shores of this country, not for the people of the world who do not know God, but specifically because of the of the of the decades long multiple decades long corruption of of the church within the United States of America itself that judgment has come lastly to our shores as if like brother fernando was talking about the other day when he when we were talking about amos he pointed out how that amos begins with an account of all the nations around israel and the judgment that would fall on them but then as if, uh, you know, he set that out to, to point out to Israel how bad those other people are, the prophet then drops a bomb on him and says, you know what, you're worse than all of them because you know the Lord and they don't. And it's in that sense that America for many, many years has, has boldly proclaimed itself to be the people of God or a Judeo-Christian society. But in so doing, we have seen over the last 50 years, really leading up to our time, a systematic um, deconstruction of the infallible word of God and its precepts, uh, a, an embracing of a cultural norm that has infiltrated the churches, even creating, if you will, a ruling religious elite class that has dominated for the last 25, 30 years, especially 
that which purports itself to be the church. Within its confines, we see an, an entire system that has corrupted itself and in, in many ways has blinded itself to the judgment that we now see that was inevitable to come because God sent many prophets and many men of God to the United States over the last 50 years with words of warning, should she not turn and repent from her sins, that ultimate judgment would come upon her shores. Now, America has begun in its attempt to fight back against this judgment, right? Whether we'll see it or admit it to ourselves, we're, we're under judgment. Uh, <clears throat> but our refusal to understand that we're under judgment, which many of the church leaders refuse to understand that the judgment has come. You know, they stand up and they rebuke uh, the wind, so to speak. They, they, they take authority over the virus and, and it's just getting worse. They don't want to reflect on the fact that it could very well possibly be that it is their acute failure of leadership that has brought about this ultimate corrective hand of God to its very shores. Now, uh, it, that doesn't mean because they ignore it and don't want to admit it, uh, that the truth is that judgment indeed has come. So today I want right. to continue to lay out some, some parallels, right? <clears throat> and, and, and we are being shown by the Holy Spirit and the Word of the Lord that there is prophetic significance to what we're experiencing in this virus that has gripped every single country on the planet. Now, with that in mind, with the scriptures that we read, I want to lay a little bit of a background here, and you guys jump in at any time. Because what I'm going to tell you today uh, is going to, I hope, bring some light on what we are going to see and what we're seeing transpire uh, and what will happen when the event actually begins to occur and the coronavirus begins to lift and we begin to emerge from our houses into a world that is completely different than the one we just knew three or four weeks ago. Now, right. in that and in that kind of a statement, uh, we look to the scriptures for parallels. And, and I believe that the Lord has given us some light upon this. Remember that what we witness, for example, in the book of Revelation chapter 13, what we are told there is that there will, be, there, will, there will come a global system that merges itself with a, a global church, if you will, or, a, or an ecumenical church where every religion, every faith comes together under this one that looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon, Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, that the two will merge themselves. Now, remember, we began to talk about this in type and shadow when we said that the natural account or historical account of events in the scripture portray a larger prophetic truth of what would be occurring, and I believe, in our time. And so we need to go back to that and look to that to see, has these patterns ever happened before? Now, we're talking about, first, there must come a corruption of the system. That is the religious system, and we're talking about the judgment that has come upon the United States. And I believe we can see the same parallel that happened to Israel in the day that the Lord Jesus walked upon the earth. He came to his own, remember. He comes to a well-established, well-entrenched, well-developed religious system. Now, it begins in the Gospel of John, for example, with the account of John the Baptist. God begins to raise up a prophetic voice that begins to warn that the Lord is coming, begins to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, when John was confronted by the religious elite of his day, uh, they asked him, are you a new move of God, right? Are you that prophet? Are you Elijah? Are, are you the Messiah? And he basically denies that and says, no, I'm simply a voice crying in the wilderness. And then he begins to reveal to them that, you know, look, I come baptizing in water, right? But he says to the Pharisees, he says, and I believe this is, this is the statement that John makes that I'm about to quote to you right here, represents exactly where we are in our time with the religious elite of our day. John tells the Pharisees, he says, there is one that stands among you whom you do not know. So he points them and says, the Lord is already in your midst, and yet you don't know him. And so th this was the condition of the leadership. 
that the Messiah was already walking among them. Remember Jesus first came to the temple when he was 12, actually when he was eight days old, right? And Simeon picked him up in his arms and said, behold, the the salvation of Israel, right? A light that would lighten the Gentiles. So he first came to the temple at eight, and then he shows up eight, eight days old, and then he shows up at 12 years old. We have another account there, right, where he begins to confound the religious doctors of the law of his day with his answers and his questions. Mary and Joseph have to come find him because they had, they'd lost him in the crowd, so to speak. So the fact of the matter is, is that he had been fulfilling the law all along and had been walking up in Israel and into the temple for almost 30 years, coming and going in the major feasts and fulfilling the law all along the way. And John said, he has been right in your midst, coming to you the whole time, and yet you don't know him. Now, Jesus comes, and, and what we need to understand in this sense is that what that is telling us is that there will be a church in the last time. That was one of the things that we needed to look for as prophetic signals, is that will a system emerge in the last time, and are we seeing it now, where it is possible that the, that the Lord himself could walk in their midst and completely be unrecognized? In other words, they don't know who he is. Remember what the Lord told them? He said, uh, you seek to kill me, in John chapter 8, verse 37. He says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And so right. he was revealing and exposing to them that the true gospel, if you will, to parallel it with our time, the true word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, will be resisted by the religious class that is completely controlled by another spirit, that is a pseudo spirit that is not the spirit of the living God. And he says, because of this, and because my word has no place in you, you seek to kill me. Now, he goes on to tell them, and I want to I want to just paint a few, uh, before we get into the this 59th verse, and you guys jump in anytime. Now, there are many parallels that can be seen between Israel and the modern church in the West today, specifically the modern church in America, which is what we're dealing with. And we must ask ourselves, do we see the same parallels that they saw in Israel back in the day? And the first thing I want to talk to you about is what emerged by the time Jesus came the first time. What had emerged? It was a rich and a very powerful religious elite, right? We could call yeah. it a, a religious ruling class. You had the, the Sanhedrin uh, made up of the 70 elders. You had the Pharisees, the Levites. You had the Sadducees. And, and and they became a religious elite, a ruling class. They And what was indicative of them is that a whole system had emerged so that from up in northern Israel all the way down into the south, all the way up to Jerusalem, with Jerusalem being its headquarters, these religious elites created a system of synagogues all throughout the land, churches all throughout the land, if you will, where from headquarters would come the message. And then they would get like the mandate and the edict so that the same message was being preached throughout the whole land in unison with the ruling religious elite. It really like, I mean, they, they, they had the power to control the message. And we see the same thing happening today in the big TBNs of the world and, and the day stars and the God channels of the world and all the religious elite media. They shaped the message in a direction by and large, that is completely devoid of the true word of God. And it was the same when Jesus came. It's a rich, powerful religious elite. It's a ruling class that controls the message. And in our day, it controls the message through the media. Now, check this out. That reminds me a lot of the megachurches, right? We have these superstar pastors who rule from their main pulpit. But instead of actually uh, raising up disciples and faithful young men of God and sending them out to be missionaries and, and plant churches, what do they do? They call they they call them today rather than calling them the synagogues, they call them campuses, right? And all mm -hmm. they do is right. Isn't that true? They they, yes. they put video screens and they yeah. gather people into these warehouses where there is no preacher, and then they project their own image from the headquarters as if they are the you know, the second coming of the Lord himself. No one else could possibly preach a message to all these people but me. Uh, you know, I mean, that's how they are, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's sure. why that. Anybody that's wanna, why it's an indictment. Anybody want to comment that, on that? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it's an indictment. Yeah. You know, this is the very thing they glory in in their campuses, in their how comfortable and how uh, grand joshiest they are, and yet God allowed every single church in America, every single church in America to be closed. That's an indictment. Yeah. That yeah. that is God's that is God saying, Listen, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't you know, all of this what you have is nothing to me. And so the fact that right now, even as we speak, we have the churches that are closed, I believe that's an indictment on the church. That's good. Brother Fernando? No, no. Um I was thinking, you know, you're 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 bringing forth the the thought that the parallel it holds true in, in Jesus' day as it is today, that what we're telling the people is that the ecumenical uh, backslidden church is being fashioned or prepared literally uh, to not be able to discern the times and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly. That's what's, uh, that's what's under attack here because yeah. they're they're falling in love with this world they're falling in love with material things because that's the gospel that has been preached for the last uh 30 plus years or so to the church so this is what we're saying it's it's we have a church that is saying that we're going to be try that they're hearing the message that we're going to be triumphant here on earth and then when things get fixed here on earth then that's when we're going to tell Jesus to come the truth of the matter is Jesus is coming but the yeah. church is ill-prepared for his coming. And and that's what we're bringing forth. That's what we're telling the people. Hey, this is what's happening. We have Pharisees in the pulpits of America today that if Jesus were to come today, they are the very ones that would kill him. My goodness. Right. <laughs> that's that's well, true. In Matthew 24, remember when Jesus went out with his disciples and they departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him what? The building, the grandeur of their temple. And how did yes. Jesus respond to that? See you not all these things. Verily I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's so right. Jesus in his days had to shut them up. They were gl glorying in their temple, in their synagogues. And, and Jesus has to correct them. That's a really good point because um, that is uh, what you just said there. They were glorying in their temple and in their synagogues, right? They were glorying in the pageantry of it all. And, and that is what we have seen evolve to, to a growth extent, really, over the last 20, 25 years, uh, coming out of the 80s into the 90s and now into the 21st century. And And... And what Brother Fernando and, and you are both saying go hand in hand with what we're what we're putting out here. We believe the Spirit of the Lord is showing us. Remember, we're, we're doing these podcasts in the midst of the coronavirus, which has literally crippled the nation and the world. And what Brother Jeremy just pointed out, which is powerful, is that is that what we have witnessed is now the shutting of the doors of our very places of worship. And it is as if the Lord who has allowed that to happen is saying shut the doors because everything that you have seen has finally <laughs> made me so sick. I don't even want you to gather. I want you all to go home wow. and think about it, right? I mean, look at wow. look what's over there, you know? So that's exactly what you just said, which is really, really powerful. And, and, and like in the day when Jesus came the first time, like we were just talking about, it's a rich, powerful religious elite that is controlling the message just like the Pharisees and Sadducees in the temple in Jerusalem were controlling and mandating to the people how to eat, how to worship, how to act. You know, the very words that were preached were handed down uh, in scrolls and edicts throughout the land to the rabbis in the different locations, like the big campus churches we have today. They had the power to control the message. And we see the same thing today when, when we were talking about TBN and, and the Church Channel and the Hillsong Channel and the God Channel and the Daystar Channel, Ad Infinite and the Inspiration Channel. You see the same creatures preaching the same message on each and every channel. In other words, the ruling, powerful Christian, quote-unquote Christian ruling elite control the message because they control the media. 
And so they have over uh, uh, several decades now systematically brainwashed an entire generation of people into a form of doctrine that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the template fits. We see the same conditions. Now remember this, that Jesus appeared just before, like Brother Jeremy was just saying, it was all about to come down. It's going to be judged. You know, remember, it would only be about 40 years after the ministry, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, when that temple indeed would be destroyed and, and, and brought down. And I believe one of the things we're going to witness coming out of the coronavirus or two things is this. There are going to be a class of people within that whole sub subset structure that has been created that are going through this time to realize where <laughs> what have I been actually hearing in my churches? What if where is God? Right. And they're going to become disillusioned. And then there will also be that other class. You mark my words. Once this virus lifts, you're going to have a whole bunch of false prophets standing up. No matter if it takes several weeks or several months, they're going to take credit for it. They're going to say it was our oh, prayers yeah. and by our might, right? <laughs> You're going to say week right. after that, right? And what's, what that is going to do is literally uh, cause a, a deeper spirit uh, of delusion to come upon them. And they will become that ultimate uh, horrible uh, church of the end, which fuses itself with that son of perdition. So we see the rich, powerful elite that Jesus came to, and, and he came to their midst, and they didn't even recognize him. Now, what, what else? They were made up of scribes and lawyers, right? These are types of those kinds of ministers who alter the word in order to control the people and justify their own behavior. Isn't that what we see really in the, in, in the hyper-charismatic movement? You know, the, the, everybody's a prophet. Everybody is saying, does they at the Lord. They're actually uh, reproducing themselves in the people. They they have these right. prophet schools, right, where they have people come over and they try to teach them how to prophesy. Forget the Bible. The Bible doesn't even show up. I mean, they, they just they make up they make it up as they go along, just like the scribes and the Pharisees did. So Jesus came into a culture of re, of a religious establishment the first time that was so compromised that that they took the plain reading of the scriptures and added to it their own onda, as we say in my community, right? Their own thing. You know, we're going to add our own thing so we can justify the way we are, right? So what else? They were politically well-connected. They were right. politically well-connected. Remember when Jesus was brought before trial uh, in Pilate, right? And he brought him out and said, I don't find any fault in him. He said, what, what do you want me to do with your king? And what did they say? They said, we have no king but Caesar, right? That's what they mm -hmm. said. And, and, and so we see the same attitude in the church today. In America, we're talking about, so no one doesn't forget what we're talking about. We see, and what are you saying? I'm saying that the same conditions when Jesus came the first time to his people is the same conditions we have seen morph now in this time, which is an indication that he is soon to come again. Now, they were politically well-connected. We have seen a church emerge in the last several years that has joined itself to the political movement on, on the extreme political right in this country. And like you said yesterday so well, Pastor Fernando, it is, uh, it is as if they, they, uh, they think they're having a revival because they can walk up and down the corridors of the White House. And you mm, mentioned right. the kingdom now and all that. It's a whole doctrine that has is really the doctrine of antichrist because it has it has slithered its way like a consistent thread since the time of the first appearing of the lord even into our time now they were always looking for a kingdom on earth always looking for a political kingdom wherein they would be the ruling class messiah would be the head but this has flowed all the way down through the last 2000 years and has come to rest itself here and, and the reason I point out the American church is because it, it is, in, in a sense, that compromised Jerusalem in the spirit, if you will, which rules Christianity throughout the world. I have had the privilege, my wife, my children and I, and, those, and you guys too have gone with me, where we have literally traveled the world and seen the effect of the compromised American church on all the rest of the nations. They imitate what they see. 
and what they see is an American church that, that propagates a gospel that has corrupted an entire generation, and they do not know Jesus. So they are politically well-connected now. They have joined themselves to the, to, the, to the power of the world, and in so doing, they have rejected the Lord. And also, what else were they, were they, had they created? The religious elite, they created what? A system of commerce. You know, they made the house of God into a den of thieves. That's what Jesus said, right? Right. right. They created an entire system. And what do we see today? Whether it's uh, Christian, the so-called Christian music, they don't call them ministers. They call them artists, right? Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, you. <laughs> I mean, you've got Christian rock bands. You've got Christian rap artists. I mean, everybody labels it Christian, but the 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 spirit behind it is the spirit of the devil, because that's what Jesus right. said to them, right? He said, you're of your father, the devil. In other words, this is the condition of the religious house that when Jesus came the first time, what was ruling within the house, he told them, it's not my father's Holy Spirit. What's ruling in the house when he came the first time is the spirit of your father, the devil. The devil has taken over the church. Somebody comment for me, would you? Brother Brother Marty, uh, they have become the Herodians of of our of our time. These mm. preachers. I'm not going to name names, but there's even shepherds that are leaving their position as shepherds, their ministry as shepherds, to dedicate more time to Washington, to these political wow. moves. And and mm -hmm. we find that the Bible says the sheep are scattered without a shepherd. The yeah. reality is that if you are preaching the true gospel of Jesus. Uh, Christ, it's really the only thing that is confronting head-on the spirit of this age. You see, the, the true gospel, in spite of what you that are listening, in spite of what we hear in our pulpits, especially here in America, the true gospel today is not for us to walk hand-in-hand -hand with religious, with, with political leaders, to walk hand-in-hand -hand with the world, to sing Kumbaya, my Lord, with the world, or or to appease the culture. The true gospel really confronts the status quo, the culture, not mimics the culture, church. The true gospel challenges us, us to live a holy life. It tells us that this is not our home, that we're just passing by. The true gospel does not allow us to get too comfortable or adjusted to this world, but puts mm. a hope in us that Jesus is coming back again soon. Praise God. Brother Fernando, you have anything to say? Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, for for the longest time, we thought that uh, the greatest persecution would come from the world here in America. Yeah. But what you're what you're saying is, and and if we it's parallel holds true, the greatest persecution that Jesus got was from the religious leaders, and he ultimately ended up before uh, Pilate, but he was brought yeah. to Pilate by the religious establishment. That's good. They handed um, so him over. <laughs> yeah. So, so think about this. Yes, the church is being prepared. The false church is being prepared to receive a Messiah, but it's not the, the true Messiah. It is the 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 man of sin that that they will um, embrace. But so Revelation speaks about that, right? That yes. synagogue, right? The religious houses of that day uh, had become the house of Satan. The synagogue of Satan. Satan was ruling in these places of worship. That's and therefore incredible. he was steering the hearts of these religious leaders to cause persecution upon the early church. Mm -hmm. So the greatest backlash, the greatest persecution that the true servants of the Lord are going to receive, the true church of God, is going to be persecution at the hands of a false church. Because yeah. the true church is going to call out the sins of the false church. The true church is going to call out the the direction, the false direction that the, the false preachers are leading the false church. So you have to realize that because, you know, we always think the world, the world is going to, it, it doesn't love us, it's going to persecute us. But the truth of the matter is what scripture is saying, that there is a false church where the seat of Satan is at. Think about where the seat of Satan is at. The seat of Satan is in the false church. That's right. 
let's take a look at that because that's a that's a really important point that that phrase you use because uh he calls in i think it's the philadelphia church where he he references the synagogue of satan right uh yes that's what he calls it and then earlier on in uh in the second chapter of the book of revelation when he's addressing uh the church at smyrna he talks about the synagogue of satan again so Twice, the two yes. places, now check this out, the two places where the Lord references the synagogue of Satan, and I hope you people are following us out there. If not, you need to pause and go back and listen to what we're saying so you can catch the flow here. It's re- let me give them the verses. Revelation 2.9, that speaks of the Church of Smyrna, and Revelation yes. 3.9. Which speaks of the Church uh, of Philadelphia. Correct. Right. Now, now, now what's interesting... Yes, and what's interesting about that, brother, is to me at least, is that 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 the thing that both of those two churches have in common, Smyrna and Philadelphia, is one, they are both being persecuted by the synagogue of Satan, and two, they're both going to go through a trial and, and a persecution and a tribulation. If you can hear it, Smyrna, in, in, in some measure, spiritually speaking, represented the early church of persecution. And Philadelphia, again, revisits an end-time persecution that will come upon the last-day church, where you will have emerging two different kinds of churches. You will have the, the, the church at Smyrna, followed by Pergamos, and you will have the church at Philadelphia, followed by the church of Laodicea, and it is a pattern, it is a key, it is a it is an understanding that we must garner by the Spirit because the Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the, is the testimony of prophecy. Now, in the church of Pergamos, which follows Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 12, where Pergamos is mentioned, Jesus reveals himself to that church. And he says that it is that particular church in verse 13 where the seat of Satan is, where Satan mm. actually sits, right? Now, what yes. he says in verse in chapter 2, verse 12, how he reveals himself is, these things saith he, this is Jesus speaking, who has the sharp sword with two edges. Now, he reveals himself to the church at Pergamos where Satan is sitting, as the sharp sword that has two edges. What this is, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, we know that the Scripture teaches us that it is the Word of God that is what? Sharper than any two-edged sword, right? So when when Jesus reveals himself to the angel of the church of Pergamos, he reveals himself as the Word, as the sharp sword. And why does he do that? Because when when he goes on to describe where it is and what it is he's dealing with, he calls it the seat of Satan. And so the word reveals himself where Satan sits. The word comes to confront the false word, and Satan sits exactly where doctrine is distorted. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2, verse 14. It says, because you have there those that hold what? The doctrine of Balaam. Right? right, who taught Balak right. to do to do what to cast a stumbling, a stumbling block, block before the children. Yes, to do what to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to be sexually loose. Right, commit fornication. So he mentions right. doctrine, and reveals himself as the Word. And he says, where the devil actually sits is where the gospel has been corrupted. Right, you have the doctrine mm. of Balaam in the church. You have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, he goes on in verse 15 to say, and he says, repent or I will come quickly and I'm going to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. So this is what we're saying and this is what you're saying is that they had so corrupted themselves in the first appearance of the Lord that the devil himself was now in full control of the system. Fast forward 2,000 years later. Go ahead. No, and and we see the same thing in Jesus' day with his own disciples. They they had an understanding, uh, a, a corrupted understanding of prophecy because those teachings emanated from Jerusalem. 
Yes. Right? So they were right. not fully prepared and understood what Jesus came to do. Hmm. Right? Goodness. So it's <clears> the <throat> same is taking place today. Think about what, what, what the Word of God is saying, what you brought out, Brother Marty. The seed of Satan is always going to be where doctrine is taught. He is going to corrupt doctrine. That's where he sits. What is yes. taking place today, what is coming out of America's pulpits, out of these false prophets, the mouth of these false prophets, it is a corrupted teaching, a corrupted teaching really on, on, on the understanding of end times and really what you're hearing come out of the pulpits today concerning this virus, it is a corrupted understanding of what's really taking place. They yeah. say that this is a, a time for the church to stand up and, and, and do great exploits and be a glorious church. But the truth of the matter is what's really happening is that God is judging us. God is trying to get our attention. If my yes. people, which are called by my name. So think yes. about that. And then you brought forth that the Lord speaks to that particular church and says, I am the one that has the two-edged sword, right? Because yes. he is that two-edged sword. How, right. is it that you com- how is it that you combat this, these corrupted doctrines that are coming forth out of America's pulpit? It's only through the word of God. Amen. It's only through the word of God. That is how you Amen. combat these false doctrines that are that are being spewed out of these false prophets' mouths. Powerful. Yeah, and let and let's go even let's go a little more even 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 more spiritual in it, because when Jesus came the first time, right, he he is the Word uh, who became word. flesh, right? He became flesh. So the living, walking, never having a beginning or an ending word walks into the church house of his day, the temple in Jerusalem, completely unrecognized and fought against by yeah. the very ones who claim to be his children. The same you thing. Know, Go ahead. You know, something interesting. Um, I was actually reading about an 1800 philosopher in the, a philosopher in the 1800s and by the name of Karl Marx. And he said something wow. really interesting. He said, religion is the opium of all people. And what opium <laughs> is, is a, a narcotic drug, right? And it takes you out of yeah. your senses and it leaves you to where you can't really see well. And I believe mm-hmm. like what he said really applies to this because so corrupted is the doctrine of today and of Jesus' time that the religious establishment was so corrupted that they couldn't even see the Messiah in front of them. And their religion became the very opium of their time that they missed the Messiah and they missed the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what's happening today. And and those who have true fellowship with, with Jesus, they're going to be able to pinpoint and they're going to be able to recognize the Messiah. And we're going to be like Peter when Jesus asks us, who do you say that we are? We're going to tell him you are the son of God. That's powerful, man. That's really powerful. And and really that, that dude was right. Marx was right in, in the yeah. sense that religion, right? Because what we're mm-hmm. talking about isn't religion. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But when yeah, when, right. when when that relationship is forsaken, uh it, it it has one of two results. One, you can go backslide and live like the devil and forget all about it, or two, you become even worse than that. You become somebody that creates a system, which is where the devil sits. He's all up in that, man. And and so that's powerful because what does opium do? <laughs> it deadens it deadens your senses to everything around you. And, mm-hmm. and and it just it makes you like a melancholy dude who can deal with anything, right? I mean, nothing bothers you. You're just going through life. I mean, we've seen that in the opioid crisis in America, right? I mean, the same yeah. thing happened. It's this it's this deadening. It's a that's an excellent point. So let's hurry because we're running out of time. And, and this is a vast subject. We're just laying the foundation today. But there's some very interesting things that I believe the Lord has allowed us to discuss. But we're going we're gonna to get to this blind man in a second here. But, but Jesus in John chapter 7 has come to the Feast of Tabernacles. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, the reason why we're dealing with this is because we believe it speaks of the second coming. It speaks of the culmination of all things wherein the children of God will come before the Lord and dwell in his presence with great joy because the uh, and thankfulness for the harvest that has taken place. 
So when these events that we're describing in John chapter 7, John chapter 8, and then to the blind man, it all occurred during the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll speak more of that uh, on another day. But but let's let's just go on. We've 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 addressed the, the the powerful rich elite ruling class. We've addressed how they how they uh, distorted the word, the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers, how they were politically well connected, and ultimately how they created a system of goods and exchanges of selling and buying and trading within the very house of God. Which, by the way, in John's Gospel, I, he mentions two times the Lord cleanses the temple. And and he, he talks about an early time and then a later time in his ministry. Remember when he comes into Jerusalem uh, and, and, and he cleanses the temple in the final seven days just before the crucifixion. This was prophetic in type. It was a true historical account and narrative of what actually happened in his ministry. But it also speaks to me, uh, we need to be looking. Has there been a an attempt to cleanse the temple in our generation? And I think so. I think that's what we saw in the late 80s with the fall of these big ministries, right? They, 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 right. they, literally, they literally were cleansed because of what they had done to the house of God, whether it was Baker or the, or the people in Baton Rouge at the time. I mean, what happened to them uh, literally shook the whole world and brought down an entire system. So it, it is as if the spirit of the Lord came to this country and attempted to to correct it and and bring it into line. But rather than than that actually correcting them, it actually has emerged to be worse than it ever was before. And so oh, I think it's quite conceivable that part of the uh, the result of this coronavirus, which has halted all public worship, which has shut the doors to every worship house across this land and is now affecting the very offerings and the commerce system set up within Christianity itself as a result of the teetering of the economy, it is quite possible we are beginning we are seeing a cleansing of the temple if you have eyes to see. So the pattern holds. Now remember what did they claim? They claimed to have the authority to be in the house of God by a birthright, right? They said we're Abraham's children. Well, if you've noticed over the last 20 years there's been a transition from the old guys to their kids. Their kids are running the 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 elite power structure in the media in that I'm speaking about Christianity, whether it be film, music, or the propagation of the gospel. And they claim to have a right simply by means of narcissism if you will not narcissism, what's the word? The nepotism. You know, it's been handed right. down from father to son, right? So that's what they confronted the Lord with when he came to them and began to, to try and, and correct their system. They they rebuked him by saying, we have a birthright to this, right? So they claim to have a birthright, but what the Lord exposes uh, in them is that you're not really children of God. This is heavy, man. But But he says, you're the children of the devil. In other words, the spirit by which you're controlled is not the spirit of father abraham it's the spirit of your father the devil he called them children of the devil in john chapter 8 verse 44 he said you're controlled and this is really in that early thing that happened when he calls them children of the devil is a foreshadow of what we will see played out not too many days from now revelation chapter 13 where a false church emerges and unifies itself with a global uh, power structure both militarily and legislatively politically and then it merges and becomes a one world system it's the same thing it's controlled by antichrist so what do they do this brings us to chapter 8 verse 59 where we started today they take up stones right and they tried. They were going to throw them at him. That is the the ruling elite. That is the preachers, right? They take up stones because he's confronted them and called them on the carpet. And what do they do? They try to. They're going to try and kill him. But it's very interesting right. because it's in verse fifty nine. It says what? But Jesus hid himself. He didn't hide himself from people. He hid himself from the ruling elite. He hid himself from the preachers. And that's what's exactly happened. They're they're searching for him. They can't find him. He's gone. He's left their ministries a long time ago. They just don't know it, brother. So they're content to fly around in their private Learjets and live in their multiple mansions and, and call them parsonages, you know, uh, bending the rules of the law because they're, 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 their boys are in power right now in Washington. So they can get away with a lot more than they've ever gotten away with before. And, and so Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has hid himself from them. 
And in essence, he has left their ministries because it says Jesus hid himself, verse 59, chapter 8, and he went out of the temple. He has left the structure. I believe the shutting of the doors, like Pastor Jeremy mentioned this, this morning at the beginning of this podcast, is very symbolic of that. He's hid himself from them, and he has shut the doors to their temples. He's not there no more. He's left them. They just don't know it yet. They're going to find out soon, but they just don't know it yet. And so he goes right through the middle of them, passed by them. And, and we'll just end on this today. As he's leaving, he sees something. Chapter 9, verse 1. He sees a man who was born blind. He was blind from his birth. Now, I think what we're seeing here in this is this. Metaphorically speaking, and how it applies to us today, he has left the ruling elite. He has left the public uh, pastors who have, who have totally and thoroughly corrupted his house and his gospel. And he is leaving their ministries just as he left the temple. He has shut the doors to their megachurches. And as he's leaving, he draws our attention, John does, to this event. As he's leaving, he sees a man who was born blind. And this is where I want to talk about just for, for the next two or three minutes, and then we can close. He says, he draws our attention to a man who's born blind. Now, what does this represent? There has been an entire generation of people over the last 20 years that has been called forth to altars, told to say a few little words of prayer, and then sent home with the falsified idea that they're saved. Born they have again. no... Right. right. I'm born again simply because I said, oh, Lord, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. And then they send them home going, now you're saved. Your name's written in the last book of life. Come back next Sunday and don't forget your checkbook, right? So, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but really, they're, they're, yeah. they've been born blind. They've been born blind wow. in the temple, right? He's still in the temple, but he's leaving it and he sees someone in there who was blind from his birth. See, this, you know, and I, and I know it might sound to some like we're coming down on the church. We're not coming down on, on the people of the church. We're coming down on the leadership of the church because it is right. their fault. And, 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 the, and the indictment is laid right at the foot of their pulpits where they have said nothing, done nothing, and, and truly uh, proclaimed nothing that has to do with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result, you have churches filled to the brim now. We've seen more big mega churches across this country and the world than we've ever seen, but most of the congregation that that is in them are blind. In other words, they truly have not been saved. And, and if the Lord allows, we'll pick this up tomorrow, because as we go into this story, what we will begin to see is that Jesus begins to draw our attention to this blind man because I think he represents a whole class of people that are going to come out of this system. Remember when we see in Revelation chapter, uh, what is it, uh, 15, 16, and 17, God addresses a, a, a compromised church and he represents her as a whore. He calls her the whore of Babylon, right? She She has a golden cup in her hand. She looks like a, a, a mega church. <laughs> She's just yeah. completely inundated with all the trappings of the world, yet she holds all the implements that seem to reflect a pseudo-spirituality. And he has the angel cry to the people that are all surrounded by it, and he says, what, come out of her, my people, right? That you be not partakers of her sins, nor receive of what? Her plagues right right so so i believe what we see in this blind man as jesus is leaving the temple he's going to rescue all those who have been brought up under a system that has basically caused them to be blind to the truth of god but god's going to have a revival an underground revival if you will that's going to take them out and heal them and they will see and if the Lord allows, we'll get into that tomorrow because the prophetic implications of what we're about to get into in John chapter 9 are so profound, and they culminate with the second coming of the Lord. Can you guys close? Amen. Brother Fernando, do you have any words before we close? No, uh, I think uh, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to, to tomorrow. We're barely scratching the surface here and what the Lord is showing us through the story of this blind man 
um, I'm praying that God's people uh, will begin to understand that, you know, this is not a personal agenda that we have. You know, this is is something that the Lord requires his servants to declare. He told the prophet Ezekiel, he says, if you don't tell them, if you don't confront them, Mm -hmm. I will require their blood in your hands. So we do this trembling, understanding that, you know, this this is the time to stand up. This is the time to speak up. And uh, Jesus did that. He went he went head he went head on against the religious leadership of his day. All right. So we're just following suit with him. Amen. So Amen. I'm looking forward to tomorrow for sure. Praise praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we pray that you have been blessed today as uh we just <laughs> barely tapped the, the surface. Um, this uh, story in, found in John chapter 9, verse 1, I, I just wanted to say something. You know, in the 80s, I believe it was in the 80s, when Russia uh, uh, gave really the world an opportunity to bring the gospel, I still remember uh, um, America sent a lot of their, their Christian rock band and all these yeah. things to uh, to Russia. And I remember the pastor of mine at that time read a letter that came from the pastors in Russia. And the pastors in Russia wrote to the pastors in America telling us that they were praying for us and to please do not send their rock bands, their psychologists, all of this, but what they need is preachers to send the gospel of Jesus Christ to their country. And so this tells us that this has been going on for a while, an indictment. Think about yeah. it. Yeah. Jesus, when he started his ministry, after he was baptized, went to the wilderness. He went to the synagogue where there was full of regular people that went there, the regulars, right, that were allowed to go into the synagogue. And as he's preaching the word, a demonic, uh, a, a demonic presence uh, upon this man that was in their midst begins to manifest. And I began to think, how long had this man been going to that synagogue? Yet the ministers could not detect what was going on with this man. Yet Jesus goes in there, and immediately that thing is manifested. And Jesus took authority over it, which tells us the condition of our churches. And so I I want to challenge you to, to really meditate and think on what is going on today within our churches, within our the churches we call Christian churches where it used to be where you could find the power of God. I remember growing up, um, it was a youth service that we were having on a Friday night, a youth service. And I, we lived in San Francisco, and, and there was a, uh, a bad, in, the middle, in the middle of a bad neighborhood. And there's a testimony that I saw of a young man who was going to go commit suicide. And he happened to be passing by the church where he heard some songs and he came in. He was, we were singing some hymn songs. And he came in. And that night, the Lord set him free and saved him. Churches used to be a place where you can find the truth, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now they have become social clubs. Now they have become everything else. And, the, and what you're not hearing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the days that we are living in church. And God is wanting us to open up our eyes, you that are listening. And so, yes, we look forward to what God has. We'll be praying, and we hope that you can join us tomorrow, and you can tell others uh, to join us in this podcast, and let us examine what is taking place. I pray that you have been blessed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that has been opened up and shared, God, through these airwaves. We thank you for the technology that allows us to be able to go into the homes and to the ears of those that will tune in, God. And we believe that you have given us a word, God, a word of warning, a word, God, for us to examine our hearts, Lord, that even if you allow us when, or when you allow us to those that have their churches to go back to their churches, that we will not go back the same way. 
but that we will go with ears ready to listen what God is saying, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to people, Lord. Speak to the hearts of your people. Father, for we need, Lord, to wake up from our slumber. We need to wake up, Lord, from where we're at, Lord. And I ask you for that heart that is calling out to you today. To those that are saying, Lord, forgive us. To those that are saying, Lord, I want more of you, Lord, that you will hear the cry of your people, Lord, God, and that you would turn us from our wicked ways, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the church in America. I pray for our nation who is in a dire need, Lord, to hear the word of the Lord, God. In these next couple of hours, these next few days, in these next few weeks, Lord, we pray for your protection upon our families, Lord, and allow us to draw closer to you in this hour. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that you shed on Calvary's cross for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're still sitting on your throne, God, and that you are still giving us a time frame to repent, Lord, to repent, Lord. And we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, Lord. And we bless you, and we thank you for all that you are doing. And we ask you this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. May God bless you. you. And as we like to say here, keep looking up.